It is April 7th, 2014, and this is episode 62 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Good evening, Jerry, and good evening, fellow listeners. Thanks for tuning in. Yes, yes, and uh, you you will notice that we're back to our normal normal format after we received some unkind uh, correspondence from some legal firms. Yeah, I, uh, I've never seen that language used by lawyers before. That was interesting. Indeed, indeed. So I do not have an update from Bob. Uh, he, he, uh, he's kind of dropped off the radar. And, uh, you know, in, in fact, I was actually running around Disney World, so I, I didn't have a lot of opportunity to, to track him down. But, uh, you know, hopefully he, he will, he will uh, emerge from the Middle East next week. He's been in prison before. He'll be fine. I know. I know. He's a tough guy. All right. Let's get into our stories. First up tonight is one from Dark Reading called Cyber Criminals Operate on a Budget 2. And there's some interesting things in this particular article. Uh, They call out that 99% of attacks based on a report put out by WebSense are basically tweaks to existing attacks. So there's the point there is there's not a lot of new novel stuff going on. And, and I think as you, as you kind of meander through the article, they, they make the point that, you know, we, um, you know, we, we are getting too wrapped around the axle about, uh, dare I say it, APTs, right? And, and the point is that, these kinds of techniques are really being adopted by, by everybody, and, and uh, part of that's because rather than developing their own novel things, they're just again making slight modifications to things that are already out there, and they've proven their effectiveness. Yeah, why go to extra work if you don't have to? It works. Exactly, and and they also point out that criminals right now are focusing on specific populations, geographies, communities, and individuals. And I think that I just want to underline that point that, you know, we hear often, especially in some of these public breaches, where companies will make the declaration, this was a very highly advanced attack. And, you know, that might be the case. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that the attacker who perpetrated it was particularly advanced just that they happened to have access to uh you know to some some tool that they they figured out how to use and uh and there's a couple of other interesting things in this particular article that most of the attacks that websense saw in their report involve exploit kits which is not terribly surprising to me uh one thing that was pretty surprising to me is that they report 85% of malicious links that are involved in watering hole and, and um, uh, I guess, phishing, for lack of a better word, attacks are on legitimate websites that have been compromised. Hmm. 
and and that's um you know that's pretty important to consider and you know i would say one thing that that uh that tells me is don't assume your web filters are wrong right because uh somebody let's say goes to nbc and it gets blocked as as malware don't don't make the assumption that it it is uh you know it, it's uh it's a false positive because it's not necessarily a false positive um yeah, it's true. I mean, we've got a. St- I don't think we're covering it in this in this episode, but there's talk going on right now of a well-known, uh, suitably safe website that has been exploited in building a you know a, a bot army. Uh, we're not sure who yet, but uh, you never know when a normal everyday website might either have some nasty stuff coming through in the ad, um, you know, the ad stream, uh, you know, some some hidden iframes. You never know. Yeah, and there's there's um there's quite a lot of opportunity to avoid these things, particularly if you have if you have everybody going through a web filter. One of the one of the best things I I like is blocking uncategorized sites, which uh, which tends to catch a lot of these things because you know, honestly, a lot of these are are not a situation where the compromised site is actually hosting the exploit. What happens is the compromised site is very, very subtly modified to have an iframe or, or some other redirect to another site that the, the attacker controls. And keep in mind, again, because you know these are exploit kits, the, the, the perpetrators don't want to upload their exploit kit onto these people's you know, onto a legitimate server because it's probably going to get found and it's more noisy and, and on and on. So, so they, they'll tend to, you know, have a, have a redirect, very subtle redirect off to another site. And a lot of times those are very new, newly created domain names. Uh, Now, you know, there are, I, I will say that there's a, there is a trend now of some, some attackers learning how to get around that, right? So what they'll often do is uh, do a 301 redirect to another legitimate site for some period of time. And then, uh, then they'll upload their, their, uh, their exploit kit and, uh, you know, launch it. Now for some period of time, all of the major web filters are, are considering that particular domain that's hosting the exploit kit as, you know, let's say an, you know, a news site, or, or something like that. So it's, um, you know, it's still, it's still kind of an arms race. Yeah, always will be. And it, it keeps coming back to, you might as well treat all sites as hostile and try to armor the endpoint as best you can. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. And, and uh, it's, it's definitely naive to think that if you if you just keep people off of pornography sites or wear sites or things like that that you're you'll be okay because that's really not where the majority of these things are happening now man if you kept me off those two categories i i wouldn't even use the internet anymore <laughs> it's what it's for right <sighs> i would be so bored anyway yes agreed yes. uh and the, you know never at work of course never at work that's right. That's right. Uh, but you know, the, the other, I think the other takeaway here is given the point that these are, these exploits or these attacks tend to be based on variations of other, 
you know, of other attacks. And the, the whole core concept of this article is that the attackers are on a budget, right? They're, they, they appear, and I'm, I'm inferring here, right? They appear to be following that kind of normal uh, maturity cycle, right? And so now they're getting to the point now where they're trying to f- be a little more economical about things. And the point there is if you can raise the bar a little bit higher, they may well move on down the road to the next guy. Or, it just depends on how targeted that that or, attack is. Or, yep, or a girl. Right, exactly. Yeah, you know that's that used to be the you know the kind of the common mantra was make yourself harder than the next guy or you know the next network and they'll move on. That may not always be the case anymore, depending on if they have an axe to grind with your particular organization. Yeah, and that's that's also kind of called out in this in this article too. Is that you know again with some of these new tools, it's becoming easier uh, and, and more palatable for them to target explicit companies or individuals or, or whatnot. So, you know, that's a, that is a good point. I think you have to, you, you kind of have to figure out for yourself what you're trying to defend against, right? And, and, and where you're going to apply your resources, because I still think as a rule that, a lot of these attacks are not targeted. They're kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing who they can who they can get get it to stick to. And so, from that perspective, it does make sense to be a little more difficult to get in than the, than the next guy. But uh, you know, hopefully, if nothing else, you 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 get the sense that you know, there's there's no certainty here. You 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 know you 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 have to be aware of your situation and, and what threats you face. So moving on to our next story, this comes from eSecurity Planet, which is a site I had never heard of. <laughs> that gives it a great deal of credibility. I know, I know. But but it's a it's a pretty interesting article about cyber insurance. The title is Cyber Insurance Covers That Seven Items You Might Not Know. And uh, so they go through kind of in detail some of the different areas that uh, that cyber insurance tends to cover or, or at least as an option to cover. Uh, so, for instance, online content liability. And, you know, to be honest, I hadn't really thought about this as something that you would look to insure. But, you know, let's say you have an employee who posts something defamatory on a on a social media site or or any number of things like that where – you know, you you uh, you you get into trouble based on something that one of your employees or does, or so, something that some external party does to you. How about uh, something you might say in a podcast? Yeah, you know that's a good point. We should go talk to <laughs> an insurance agent. <laughs> um, so so anyway, it'll it'll cover those or can cover those cyber extortion. Is another one. So this is, uh, you know, this is kind of the ransomware mm-hmm. deal. And um, you know, they they actually point out that apparently, and I don't know if this is true or not true, uh, but it, in some cases, apparently, this will pay the ransom for like like CryptoLocker, <laughs> which is a, just a terrible idea. By the yeah, way, yeah, yeah, that brings up some a whole other concerns. But you know, as well as folks who are. You know, extorting you for money for preventing a DDoS or you know not doing a DDoS against you. Yeah. Typically, it's like negotiating with terrorists. It's a bad idea. Yeah, uh, 
in that case, back your stuff up, hire a you know, hire a, a mitigation DDoS mitigation service or, or, or what have you. It, it it's really not a, a great long term strategy to give in. You'll get I was a, just going to hire Liam Neeson to go track him down. And oh, hey, there you go. Yeah, good idea. Let me know how that works out for you. Well, so far he's not returned my calls, but <laughs> shocking. I will continue. Uh, it also covers business interruptions. So you know, if you ha- if you do happen to uh, you know capitulate and pay the extortion, and and the next guy comes along and and uh, you know you can't afford you can't afford the bribe or or the blackmail this time, and they they take you offline. They uh, the, this insurance will help cover your your business losses. And even even a pen, potentially lost sales, which is which is interesting. Uh, crisis management, and this is a pretty interesting one. So kind of like a brand, you know, recovering your brand image and and helping helping out there. Offline data losses. So your uh, you know your your laptop goes missing with uh, with all the PHI data on it, uh, which is never encrypted, of course. Um, we, you know, obviously nobody ever <laughs> encrypts that stuff. Apparently, they're supposed to. I uh, mean, <laughs> well, it's I not. It's not that difficult. I, I know it's not been difficult for a long, long time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, data forensics is another area they cover. Uh, and so, if you if you have a breach or infection or what have you, uh, they can help offset the cost of forensics. Either during or after the incident, and then another one, which which was really totally not not something I would think about, is retroactive coverage. And so, if you think about this, you know, what do we know about breaches from from reading like the Verizon data breach report? You know, these can take a long, long, long time to come to light. And so, if you sign up for a policy today, and um, you know you you might find out tomorrow that there was a breach five years ago or two years ago and that policy might not cover it. So I just got to wonder now how that isn't abused, right? How can, you know, anything can be abused. I should take a step back and say that, but that just seems fraught with peril in terms of, Oh, we got breached. Uh, go sign up for an insurance policy. <laughs> I, it's a good point, and I I don't know it. Not only that, but how are these things being priced? That that yeah. is fascinating to me to think about how actuaries are are pricing the risk here. Because, dang, that's got to be a really really difficult task. Because there's, you know, unlike a unlike a lot of other things, there's just not a ton of data available about these things. Yeah, there has to be some way that they protect themselves and some way that they do the actuarial tables on what this is. I don't know. It's uh, it's something we've talked about from time to time on the show. Don't know a lot about it, but yeah, it's, it's um, interesting. It it is uh that that is something that that I am personally interested in and I've been I've been on a uh on a tear learning all things statistics and you know inferential statistics and actuarial science. So which Someday. is why you Someday. are so amazing at parties. <laughs> yes, yes. My my wife tells me that, that I'm... Or the hit of the... I mean, you can't even get a word in edgewise with all the people asking you questions at parties. It's... 
Yeah, that's not that's not how I remember them going. <laughs> Anyhow, moving on to the next story. This one comes from Tripwire's blog. It's titled "The Meaning of Security Hype," which I got to tell you, really dug this story. I, I loved this story. Big thumbs up on this one. Now, it's obviously <laughs> it, it it's obviously a subtle plug for um you know for tripwire wait what i know it's it that's shocking <laughs> to hear but um yeah so so the story here in in this particular article is that the security field is largely being manipulated by vendors and kind of from top to bottom and side to side you you have a lot of legacy Cruft that is being uh, you know, being proffered by vendors, and and they're doing all they can to you know to segment their products and and to convince customers that they you know, uh, essentially maybe need more than they do. And I, the one thing, as I read through it, it's it's um, it's that vendors are pushing treatments of symptoms rather than of diseases. And that's Absolutely. that's kind of the core, I think, of of what they're trying to get at in the article, uh, you know, because that's where the profit is. I would also say that we're starting to confuse, and this is something we've mentioned before: the skill sets of knowing how to work a vendor's technology with core information security knowledge. Absolutely, and and information security wisdom, and I think that's. That's part of it as well, because where is most of the knowledge and training and white papers and collateral and everything else being generated from the vendors? Right. Yeah, and they will work with, you know, with universities. They'll partner with universities. They publish reports, which, you know, hey, even this thing is a is a vendor report, and you know, Verizon publishes their data breach report, which is, you know, it's all. It's all marketing at, at some level. It's useful to different levels, but I think as as intelligent consumers, we've got to we've got to be aware of the incentives and motivations behind what's going on. And you know, the, the other thing they point out is, which I thought was pretty uh, you know pretty good point, is that the average person will look at this and say, yeah, but you know, every market does this. Yeah, every single market does this, and that that's okay. Right. I think the key is understanding it and not mistaking one for the other. Well, so they go on to say there is a there is a very important distinction between security and all the other markets or I'm not going to say all the other markets, but many of the other markets in that these vendors are being very successful at getting you know, maybe not their specific product but the you know that that segment that that product segment codified in regulation and yeah. and law and so you know now you can't get away without having a firewall you can't get away without having antivirus if you're in any kind of a regulated industry even if you have some you know viable mm-hmm. uh, alternative that's good that's a really good point uh, and that does change things up a little bit. You know, but let's again point out that just because you have this technology does not mean that you're using it correctly. Yeah, I wrestle with that on a daily basis where somebody will say, yeah, we're, we encrypt the database. Well, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. 
okay, you know what? How, how do you encrypt it? Well, Where are well the, the keys? hard drive's encrypted. Yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. So if somebody runs in and steals <laughs> steals the server, you're okay. You're okay. But any other possible attack, you're screwed. Yes. All right, good. Good, yes. good job. That's some fine engineering work there, Lou. Um, so, so their point, their, their net point is to stop focusing on what works as far as individual pieces of technology and focus on how it works as, as a, you know, kind of like what you were saying, right? Thinking about things critically and, and figuring out what you need rather than being, you know, be, being swayed by, oh, I've got to have a next gen firewall because that's, you know, that's what I learned about at, at school. You know, it's interesting. When you start pulling in reports from folks like Gartner and NSS and those sort of things, they're supposed to be these independent review boards. I got news for you. They're not. <laughs> oh, oh, you know, there's a part of me that kind of wishes we were still doing the whole gossip thing because, I don't know, have you seen what's going on with NSS and FireEye? That's exactly where I was going. Absolutely. And I think there's actually something very key to learn there. And and if you haven't followed on this, short version is NSS put out a report where they tested a bunch of uh, advanced malware tools and were highly unfavorable towards FireEye. FireEye fired back with a very strong broadside in their blog about why NSS testing was flawed and all these other things that were wrong and why their results are, are invalid. NSS fired back, countering most of FireEye's points. Point being, you have to look at those things critically as well. I have personal experience with a number of the Gartners of the world, the NSSs of the world. I'm not going to say who exactly, but those types of, of organizations. And it is a pay-to-play world out there. It is about what kind of money you're spending with that organization, and, and they're going to treat you differently. I hate to say it. And maybe not in every single case, maybe not in every single instance, um, but they're not as objective as you might think they are. Uh, but a lot of people, especially executives, look at those as a shortcut. And I'm not saying that you know, you're going to go vastly wrong if you buy things in the upper right, you know, the Magic Quadrant from Gardner. They're probably pretty decent tools. But it's not purely objective. Yep. You have to make your own your own assessment, I think is the point. And you know, we've got but a story coming up later that, that highlights that, I think. You know, but that's tough. That's really tough. I and mean, you've got to have a lot of time to really do good, hardcore POCs, to really look into this stuff. You know, at some point, people are like, look, i got to move on. i just got to get something done here. And that is the challenge with, that we face as an industry, with as complex and as difficult as this problem can become. So, you know... It, and I agree with that, but but what are you what are you to do, right? I mean, you're you're. Well, I think it's about setting realistic expectations with management. It's about understanding um, what it takes to do this stuff properly, and at least understanding this problem exists, and understanding that you know <laughs> you know it's funny. I this is very similar to uh, a conversation I had with some sales guys the other day who uh, work for a VAR and. And they just believe too quickly everything the vendors tell them. And I had to beat on them to start being more skeptical about what these vendors tell you because, of course, they're going to paint a rosy picture. And, of course, they're going to tell you their technology solves world peace. And it's all you need to solve all your problems. And 
you've just got to be a lot more skeptical than that. And, you know, the best thing you can probably do is talk to your peers. Talk to folks who have actually used this stuff in production. Talk to people who are using it for real, not in a POC, not in a lab, but in real production and see how well it does. I think, I think that's probably the best advice right there. You know, get your short list and, and go talk to some references. But ideally not references provided by the company. <laughs> Good point. Right? Which is tough, right? Uh, it comes back to networking as best you can. Yeah. So Anyway, yep. I didn't mean to go off on a rant there, but... Um, no, no, it, it's a good point, and you know, I, I too have not not salespeople, but I have uh, I have cross swords with executives who ha- who are very very enamored with technology, and you know, the technology they they basically buy the sales and marketing pitch hook line and sinker, and you know, it's it's not unlike that uh, that awesome YouTube video that's going around right now. Yes. With the uh, seven red lines that are transparent and green. And all perpendicular. <laughs> yes. 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 Mm-hmm. All right. So we beat that one to a bloody pulp. Let's move on to one uh, a story by the Sydney Morning Herald. The title of this is Billions Spent on Cybersecurity. Much of it is wasted. Wow. This is detecting a theme. <laughs> This is the the cynical portion of our show. Yes. yes. So forty six billion dollars is what uh, what one company estimates a certain segment of the industry spends on security stuff. And despite that, the uh, breaches are increasing about twenty percent per year, and the costs of each breach is going up about thirty percent per year. And one of the one of the obvious points and I you know I, I suppose I kind of latched onto the story because it's uh you know I'm I'm a little biased to one of the points it makes is that spending right now by most companies is very heavily focused on prevention. Yep. And and not on uh, you know not, not on other areas of uh, and I god I hate this phrase the kill chain. <sighs> I'm I'm going <laughs> to my legacy is going to be to rename that damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, um, you know one of the one of the points they they call out here, which I think is really a very key thing from a maturity level that we need to do, is to stop focusing on who is attacking us and and start focusing on what they're what they're trying to accomplish, because whether it's a criminal a hacktivist or anonymous or you know a nation state which I, I think is a code word for China um, you know they, they're all they're all sharing and and learning from each other so it's not it, there isn't these really clear delineations behind how one one group does things versus another and so, it's it's kind of the the point here in the article is it's kind of counterproductive to really focus on the who and the objective should be to really minimize the amount of time that an attacker has the opportunity to do stuff in your systems uh, regardless of who they are i would agree the other thing i would say is that um and i don't have any stats to back this up but anecdotally i think a lot of people are spending money on gear and not on quality people to run and take care of that gear. 
That's and right. therefore, I think the value atrophies rapidly. If only people came with blinky lights. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, I but know, yes. I know, but yeah, that I, I agree with you. Um, it is. I think it's a lot more palatable for companies to sell the concept of you know I, I just need to buy this this piece of equipment and put it in the rack and now I'm you know now I'm protected and uh, as opposed to you know I need to go and I need to go out and and hire somebody because that's I, I don't know what it is it's just a you know, uh, some, where we're at in the in the business cycle, or what? Yeah, well, but, it's opex versus capex. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they mean different things. And you know, we also have this concept of, well, let's just outsource. Let's go to managed service provider. Yep. And uh, fair enough. So, so anyway, yeah. It, I think that the takeaway for for me on that is what we've talked about a lot of times in the past. Focus on other areas, particularly detection. Now that's that's where, and 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 not to say that we should not focus on prevention anymore. I think the point is we've got to be more balanced in our approach because you, at the end of the day, you've only got a fixed amount of money to spend on your on your security program, and and that's that is just a reality of life. And you know, I guess unless you're the NSA. Hmm. Um, it's it's just the way it is, and and so you you probably need to rebalance things from you know almost strictly prevention to more on on the detection side. So yeah, I would one hundred percent agree, and I think a lot of companies are struggling with this concept right now because I think for a lot of folks they've got a huge vested interest in prevention, and to intellectually accept and emotionally accept that that has failed is. I think we're a little in denial right now. Well, and kind of going back to the, I think two stories ago, the the vendors aren't generally helping out with that particular part of the story, right? Because most right. most of the vendors are all about prevention. And Although you're seeing a huge uptick in detection. Well, that's true. That's true. The I big mean, big data threat intelligence, big data threat <clears throat> intelligence. Yes. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> Uh, yes. Well, amongst others, but yeah, you are seeing some folks who are who are getting more hardcore about that market. But you've also got huge entrenched juggernauts that have built their entire empire on prevention. Right. Right. And one of them just fired their C- CEO. So. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, moving on. The next story we have comes from Computer World. The title is Bank. Bank abandons place in class action suit against Target and Trustwave. This is going to get ugly. Yeah. Now, now there's actually been a since since I you know I looked at this article. There's been yet another update. So this particular article points out that uh, Trustmark Bank dismissed <laughs> dismissed all of its claims against Target and Trustwave. Uh, but since then. The other bank, which is uh, Green State, I don't remember, remember exactly the name of the other bank. They've also dismissed their their uh, their claim. Although, as I understand it, there's still quite a number of other banks. Uh, although I'm not clear if any of them have 
Trustwave named as a defendant. But there was uh, one of the big pieces of news was uh, a lot of those suits were just consolidated into a particular court in Minneapolis. So I think, yeah. uh, you know, I think things are going to start happening. Um, you know, I was, uh, I was kind of, you know, <laughs> Like looking forward to a car accident, right? Looking forward to seeing uh, what might happen with with uh, with Trustwave because you know it, eventually, if it's not this sooner or later, it's going to happen where yep. where a, a QSA or an MSSP is going to be named as a defendant, and uh, you know just seeing how that's going to play out, it will be immensely interesting for uh, for the direction of our industry. Agreed. Uh, uh, a side note on that is Trustwave basically came out and said, hey, targeted not outsources data security uh, or IT work at all to yeah. Trustwave. Yep. Now, it's also very carefully worded. Uh, so the implication is that Trustwave did not work with Target, but I'm not sure if that's 100% true. Uh, you know, just the way it's worded leaves some room open interpretation that Trustwave did something with Target. Uh, but, you know, quoting from, from the CEO's letter of Trustwave, quote, Trustwave did not monitor Target's network, nor did Trustwave process cardholder data for Target. Um, so, in other words, you know, Trustwave saying, we had nothing to do with this. Leave us alone. And yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. Yep. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure this will be a, a fixture for some time to come. So, all right. The next, uh, next story we have comes from Tech World. The title is, What are advanced evasion techniques? Question mark. Don't expect CIOs to know, says McAfee. Well, okay. First off, CIOs are not super technical to begin with, typically. So, Yeah. I mean, so, this, this title's a little link bait, if you ask me. But. Well, it, it, it absolutely is link bait. But I, you know, I got to thinking about this one. And the kind of the problem that it typifies, right? Because I, one of the well, let me let me kind of go through some of the the highlights of the article. Okay. So they say seventy percent of eight hundred survey. Sorry, seventy percent of eight hundred CIOs that were surveyed claim to know what advanced evasion techniques are, but only about thirty thirty seven percent of those were actually wrong. So you know that's that's not a not not a majority of CIOs actually understand what an advanced evasion technique is. Sixty-one percent believed that they had protection in place against advanced ev- evasion techniques, and most of them thought that IPS uh, does the job of protecting against advanced evasion techniques. And I, so, so while you are correct that see, I don't think CIOs are on average, entirely technical, nor would we expect that they are because they're at the end of the day, especially in the larger companies, they are, you know, they're business leaders. They are there to serve the company. I, I think having this, this level of a misunderstanding is, is detrimental, you know, because this, I think, is how how some of those vendors <laughs> we just talked about are are able to be so successful right and so so you know which which is causal and which one is effect uh, you know it's hard to say but at the end of the day the I, I think some of the ignorance here 
is um, you know is is problematic to the industry because you know these are the decision makers. These are the people who ultimately choose how money gets allocated. Yeah, I mean the one thing I'll say about this article is it very quickly turns into an ad for Stonesoft. Yes, yes. I, I, I mean, no, no question about it. Uh, in part because they have often touted. Now, if you don't know who Stonesoft is, which don't feel bad, very few people do. Uh, they were independent until recently when they got bought by McAfee, and they make an IPS on a firewall that uh, its claim to fame was really good at detecting evasion techniques and really good at finding obfuscation in. Uh, network attacks, and that was kind of you know something they were very good at. So it's one area where they had a competitive differentiator against various other vendors. So they touted it a lot. So you know a lot of this article is is sort of raising awareness about that, which helps them. So I get that, and and AETs are real. I don't know if I'd call them you know that particular phrase, but if that's what the industry is going to take, fine. But there's all sorts of ways. AETs have been around for a long, long time, though. They've been around since the early days of IPS and IPS. And, you know, the, these are not new. They're just different ways of manipulating TCP IP to get your packets passed without being inspected. Right, right. Or, or AV. I mean, I think, I think it's a, it's a very generic term, mm-hmm. which, which, you know, I, I dare say is almost yeah. meaningless, right? But you know, the, one of the points they have in there is they they asked they asked a group of C, CIOs and security people how many people or how many uh, advanced evasion techniques they thought were out in the market, and and they uh, the respondents under at least according to the survey uh, put it about twenty five hundred percent lower or twenty five hundred times lower than it actually is. So they they were calling the number 800 million. Now that's a big, that's a big stinking number of AETs, which tells me, you know, that the term is, is quite broad. Yeah. I, I, I'm <laughs> struggling with that number. It's a very, um, very, but, very you know, large. You number. brought up a good point earlier, which is, I was just thinking about network born evasion techniques. You're right. You can do a lot on the desktop as well with evasion techniques for, for malware. So that's a good point as well. Um, when I think about AET, I think of different ways to obfuscate. I, I can't think of 800 million different ways of obfuscating. I wonder if they're, what they're doing is that they're, they're combining a malware uh, that utilizes an AET as you know, a tick on that mark. There's and, no and, other way to get to 800 million. You know, but that was uh, you know, quoted Professor Andrew Blythe of the University of South Wales. And he was commissioned a year ago by, oh, guess what, Stonesoft, to carry out a study in AETs. Finding that, quote, many IPSs are about as useful as a chocolate teapot when it comes to detecting them. Well, except once for, again. Except for Stonesoft. Except for Stonesoft. Well, personally, now I want a chocolate teapot because I want to bite its little teapot off. But uh, it's, it's like biting the ears off a bunny rabbit. It's That's just... right. We get to do that soon. And, by the way, ThinkGeek sells a zombie chocolate bunny rabbit that has red filling inside of it. Oh and I, I love this slime. Oh, jeez. <laughs> we, should, we, should you know, we should have an award for some listener one of these days. We'll have to have a contest and send out zombie chocolate bunnies. Uh, that's, a, that's a good point. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, maybe instead of uh, putting uh, the logo out for bid, I'll... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I don't know. Uh, so, uh, back to the article. 
you know, and of course they uh, sort of wrap it up with, oh, by the way, Stonesoft slash McAfee has a neat little free tool called Evader that security teams can use to test their own equipment against known AETs. Uh, CIOs prepare to be shocked. Um, so Evader is a demo tool that was written by Stonesoft many moons ago that shows valid traditional um, evasion techniques that can get past some firewalls but can't get past uh, Stonesoft. So, um, you know, keep in mind they're cherry picking here, but it's not, it doesn't make it completely invalid. It's just cherry picked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dare I say any technology vendor can probably write a tool that will be caught that by is their. That's my supposition as well. Yes. Yeah. I mean, not, not taking away from, from Stonesoft's great, I'm sure, technology, but I, you know, keep in mind. Yeah, uh, you know, if I if I manufacture an IPS, I can write a tool that my IPS will catch and yours won't. One of these days, we're gonna have to rename the show to the Cynical Defensive Security Podcast because we are indeed cynical. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I mean, we've been doing this too long. <laughs> we are, we are, uh, we are helping the masses get. Get to our <laughs> level of cynicalness, right? Much faster because our 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 cynical nature has been cultivated over you know. They could stand on the shoulders of our cynicism. There you go. That's a great. Uh, we got to work that into the logo somehow. All right, I love it. Anyhow, down. yes. Um, so so you know, my, my, kind of netting that one out. I my my takeaway is that security is complex. Risks are complex, and when your leadership doesn't understand things, you you, you may end up with a box you don't need. <laughs> yeah, certainly, uh, especially when you've got sales organizations and the vendors who go around you and go to the CIO. Absolutely. And and by the way, that I'm I'm sure most people who, who listen to the show know that's a pretty common technique. Yes. And and if we have CIOs who listen, hopefully we do. Not not digging on you guys. It's just. A sales tactic that you know works. Yeah, yeah. No, no, salespeople don't want to go talk to the cynical, crusty IT security guy. <laughs> they, mm -hmm. they they want to go to the impressionable, naive. Uh, you know, actually, I've seen, yeah, I've even seen people going to the CFO. Yeah. So that that's even worse. But you know, at the end of the day, they those salespeople have a quota to make and. <laughs> Their, their kids need shoes. So, <laughs> anyhow, the, the next story we have comes from Network World. This is titled "Understanding Incident Response: Steps to Make IR Work for You." It's a pretty long article, and I I would encourage you to read it. Um, you don't actually get to their five steps until the last page of a four-page article, and uh, the the steps are know your data. Which seems, you know, pretty good. Know where it's at. Know who might want to get it. Know how it's protected. Know how, uh, you know, how it is accessed. And there's there's obvious reasons you would want to do that because in the in in the heat of an incident response situation, it's really good to have a handle on how those kinds of things happen, rather than trying to figure it out on the fly. Trust me on that one. You don't want to do that. Right. In the heat of battle. Um, document plans for various scenarios. You know, 
so I, I, I had done incident response for a while. Um, uh, and I, I suppose it's a good thing. It's good advice. The problem I see is, you know, it's like a disaster or it's like a disaster recovery plan. You know, you, you they never are going to happen the way you think. And so my, you know, my view on this, as well as disaster recovery plans, is to build something that's kind of, uh, you know, like a box of parts, <laughs> right? Where, where you can uh, you can assemble your response. You you, you have you have plan components that you can right. you can pull together, because you're never going to be able to to even get close to all the different scenarios you're going to actually see. I you know some of my favorite incident response scenarios that I wrote were taking into account like alien evasions and yet I have still not been able to use it um, but I do strongly recommend trying to plan as much of this out ahead of time as you can and I agree with you you know if you can have components I was having a conversation with a customer earlier today about uh, DDoS defense and DDoS mitigation and you know I was educating him on the fact that instant response is a big part of that and knowing when and how to invoke different responses to DDoS and having that sort of scripted out so that you're not scrambling to figure out what you need to do and how, and having thresholds set uh, ahead of time. So I think that those are that is uh, important. Absolutely, and in in particular, in the case of DDoS, test it out. Most every one of the the mitigation yeah. providers will will uh, you know has the capability to run through a mock test, and it's sometimes eye opening, right? Where where they will not have the right IP space mm. loaded, and you know there yep. there are real problems that you'll run into and you'll, you'll find those in, in those kinds of, uh, you know, uh, test scenarios, establish a base of operations is next. So, you know, even if th- their point is, even if it's just a conference room or, or, uh, you know, a place, a place to land, you know, you need to know where you're going to go, uh, nominate a single point of contact. I think that's a, that is a good point and something I would, I would definitely, uh, recommend depending on the organization you have and how large it is and whatnot. I, I'm not, I'm not so sure that it's going to be as monolithic a role as, as what they're thinking it is because it's usually not the incident response person who's going to be, you know, both managing the incident and talking with the press as an example. So keep that in mind, uh, update and maintain, the plan is a, is a really good thing. So as you add technology or change technology, it's, you know, you, you need to keep your plan up to date. Otherwise it's, it's going to you know, go tend to entropy and it won't be worth anything when, when uh, it comes time. Absolutely key. That's such a key point, you know, integrating your change management process as well. Yes, yes. And the other point is, in, it, it's not one of the, the five steps, it, is uh, they make the point that the first time you exercise this plan, it's going to go horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah. But that's the point, right? You want to do it in, in a before the bad guys show up and do it. Yes, absolutely. Because they will, you know, and that's, that's uh, I think... One of the one of the really key things here is you want to have that mu- kind of muscle memory so that when when something happens you're not trying to build you're not trying to build the airplane as it's trying to take off as the as the uh, the old EDS commercial went indeed so um, 
know, it's a. Uh, I think those are, those are some good good tips. Uh, in any event, that is uh, that is all of the stories we have for tonight. And uh, you know, as I as I mentioned, we are uh, we're, we're going to be looking for a new logo. I've I've actually been thinking about putting it up for bid on. Um, I think it's logobids.com or fascinating something like that. So you know, if if anybody has uh, you know has any ideas, you know, you get your you get undying thanks from from me at least. Well, clearly, being the internet, show, we'll have to include a kitten. All the true. are about the music. And, uh, you know, we can't really afford to license Grumpy Cat, but that would have been ideal. Ooh, that would have been perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyhow. Does, does that mean we're going we're gonna, to uh, consider changing the, the theme music as well? I suppose. I suppose. I'm just, I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. I, I have gotten, you know, the... I've never gotten any complaint about. Well, that's because I've hacked your email and deleted all the complaints about me before you get there. Oh, well, that's true. (laughs) There you go. But otherwise, yes, that's a true statement. Yes. Yes. So, uh, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll, uh, maybe we'll go without music. I don't know. No, we got to have something. It's a good thing. Because, you know, when we get up to like 30 listeners, then we, you know, Go into to do the red carpet keynotes. We got to have something that is our theme song to announce us. True, true. Although that last episode, I think knocked us back down to about eight. <sighs> it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> my 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 mom isn't listening anymore. Apparently, she really likes Richard Baitlick. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <sighs> All right, anyhow. Killing airtime. Anyhow, say goodnight, crazy. Good night. If you have any uh, any ideas, thoughts, opinions, feedback, send us an email info at defensivesecurity.org. You can find the show notes and all sorts of other great stuff on the website www.defensivesecurity.org. You can follow the show on Twitter at defensivesec. You can follow Mr. Kellett on Twitter at lurg and me on Twitter at maliciouslink. Have a great night. Talk to you later. Bye.